0: 500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die the The ghost who walks enemies you.
1: G'day everybody, and for those who've come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. This is episode 152, which is a Comics and News one. I am Jermaine, and tonight, or today, as you are probably listening to this, I am joined by Dan. How are you?
2: Very good, Jermaine. Very good. It's um, it feels like it's been a while since uh, between podcasts, um, just the way that the recording schedule has gone. Um, and it's good to be back talking Venom again.
1: Yeah, it's been probably about five podcasts since we've done the comics and news. Um. Mm. So, um, and obviously life is a little bit different with COVID nineteen, and uh, and then we've had kickstarters starting, and then we've had the awesome opportunity to interview some people as well, which have kind of thrown some of our schedule but that's life you know yep. um we've got we've we've both got our health uh so as obviously as as we are recording this the world is currently in a 19 uh pandemic um so we hope everyone is coping uh everyone is staying safe everyone is doing their bit to try and stay safe. Um, now we will, we do want to give a bit of a quick shout out to uh, a, a couple of creators who uh, we've been in touch with whose family members have suffered from um, COVID-19 and have been in hospital with various um, means of, of the sickness. So uh, you and Nicole and Henrik Solström, uh, big big shout out to you guys um, in Ireland and uh, Sweden, whose 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 families have family members have suffered from that. Um, have any of your have you had any uh, sicknesses related to you in any way, Dan?
2: Uh, no, we've been very lucky in Australia, and um, we've we've talked about this in the chat mm. about how Australia, with a little bit of um, a little bit more advanced notice than a lot of other countries, and our geographical um, advantage. I guess we have in this situation, have been very, very lucky. Um, we, and, and, and I know WA, we've joked about this, about how WA is always wait a while. Well, waiting a while has helped. And, and I know that you guys are particularly, um, you know, it sort of got to you guys last and you, you're reasonably unaffected um, over there, Jermaine. But um, we're very lucky in Australia to have it as good as we have. Yes. And um, the the economic downturn is probably going to be the big one for us. And um, everyone is affected by that, and we would both know people who have lost their jobs or um, yeah. are hanging, hanging on to their jobs just through government assistance at the moment. And so, um, again, we're blessed to be in a country that has the opportunity to provide that sort of assistance for people. And we hope that everyone who's listening to this is coping as well as they possibly can. Yeah. And um, you yeah. know, and it, it, life's tough yeah. for all of us, and um, yeah. but you know, we'll get through it.
1: Well, it looks like it's been tough for you, mate. It looks like you've cut back on the shaving, uh, saving a few dollars <laughs> on, uh, on uh, shaving upstairs. So uh, Yeah,
2: this is, this is, and I guess anyone who's watching the YouTube can see that I've certainly, I well, you do usually shave my head, but um, on the very last day when the kids at my school, I'm a teacher, um, when the kids left, they joked in my class that no matter how long we were on quarantine, there's no way I'd grow hair. And so I said challenge accepted and I haven't shaved since. And this is what I've been able to produce. So um, hopefully they get back soon because it's hot and uncomfortable. I don't know how you people with hair do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I suppose you've had uh, more, more experience than a lot of us. If, um... <laughs> <laughs> but um, now, yeah, so well, let's, let's just hope that the next hour and a half will be a bit of fun. And uh, those who are listening or those who are um, stuck in isolation or or are in a challenging situation, they can just have a bit of fun. So, because um, exactly. that is, you know, we all love the Phantom um, and let's have some fun. So we'll get, exactly. s- we'll get straight into it. So on that same topic, um, Supernova Sydney, which and Perth, well, let's focus on Sydney basically, um, is, is pretty much an Australian Mecca weekend. We joke about it. We've been going, I've been going for about a decade now. Um, and you I think this would have been your third or fourth time?
2: It, this year would be my fourth, yeah.
1: And so, you know, it, it's, it's a big weekend for a lot of Australian fans. Um, and so Supernova have just recently made an announcement that they're going to be pushing uh, the, the, the weekends, which is Sydney and also Perth back in August. Now, that... <laughs> it's interesting in following some of the chatter on that um, is rather interesting as people are, uh, are looking forward to it, are hoping that it goes ahead. And then you get those that are, whether you want to call them more realistic or more pessimistic, um, they have something different to say. So I, ha- I actually had a chat with my wife about this today. Um, and so if Sydney goes ahead, I won't be going. Um, purely because uh, where my wife works, she works in a in, in, a, in a school and, and stuff like that, and so you know she's asked if if I can be a little bit more responsible and not uh, and not expose myself to a, a possible situation over in Sydney. So um, yeah, I, I won't be going. Um, I'm I'm going to let her remember that that I'm doing this for her. So when I buy something later on, I can
2: use that as uh, leverage. <laughs> I feel like you might have already bought the thing that is going to be the leverage.
1: <laughs> I've got a few things in the in the fire. So what about yourself, Dan? Um,
2: uh, look, I, I think it's um, it, good on them on Supernova, I guess, for clinging to the faith that they might be yeah. able to do it. But I've got to yeah. say, it's it seems really ambitious and really optimistic on their part. And there's probably all sorts of financial wheelings and dealings behind mm-hmm. the scene. That mean that they've got to make this sort of announcement rather than a cancellation. But gee, it's hard to see it going ahead. We're a long way away from having gatherings of more than 500 people. How quaint that rule seems to be now. Back <laughs> you know six weeks ago when they said we're not going to do that. Um, yeah. it, it just seems really hard to think how it's possibly going to go ahead um, it, it, You know, you, you've mentioned schools I'm a teacher, my wife's a teacher um, There's no way that um, and, and, you know, you don't want to get stuck in a border quarantine situation either Because we're both in states with closed borders So, um, no, I'm, it's off the table for me So it sounds like there'll be no Chronicle Chamber representation at Supernova this year if it does happen to go ahead um, But honestly, it feels really ambitious to think that it might
1: yeah, and I think, I think you're right. I think there's some legal reasons why they have to do it. That's me look, reading into it. And like you, I, I'm pleased that they haven't just said, no, nah, that's it, we're not going to do it. You know, they've kind of put their foot down and said, no, we're going to do our best to get this going. Because for a lot of people, and, you know, we've joked in the past, but for a lot of people, this is a big weekend. Some people are only allowed out of their house once a year and this is probably <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not sure if you saw it before, but I, I've joked that I don't know how social separation will work in a place like Supernova. No. will be able to follow rules, especially when they can't even follow high, basic hygiene rules um, of you know washing their hands after going to the toilet and putting on deodorant. I don't know how... Uh, the masses will be able to cope with a a metre and a half distance between each other. Yeah.
2: Uh, Look, I I, I haven't had the experiences that you've had maybe a decade ago, what Supernova used to be like. I've never found it that bad. But uh, certainly the crowding is immense and there's just no way, I would have thought, um, unless you halve the stalls, and maybe they will halve the stalls because you're not going to be able to have international guests come in. Again, you know, I can't see the borders, international borders opening to let international guests in. So it just... Yeah, I don't want to use the word pipe dream, but then I just did. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, anyway. yeah. Good so, luck, Tom.
1: Good luck, Tom. Along with the Supernova Sydney, there's usually the the Olympic dinners, the Lee Fort Memorial Bengala Explorers Club dinners. Now, we have not heard back, uh, Richard and Antonio, the organisers of that, have not done an email notifying people of what's going to be happening of that since. Supernova have made
2: their announcement mm. for August. So, again... But just prior to that, they did say yeah. that it seemed really unlikely and that it, yeah. it, it was a tone of cancellation, wasn't it? So, I, again, yeah. really hard to see it going ahead. I can't see how yeah it could possibly Yeah,
1: um, which is sad, but at the end of the day, everyone's safety is more important. Um, so, yeah, mm. so I, I guess if or when it gets cancelled and all that, let's just try and be... Positive or upbeat, and not try and be, uh, you know, too negative and too jumping on people. Yeah, correct.
2: Let's make Supernova Twenty Twenty One and Lee Falk Memorial Bengala Dinner Number Thirty One or Thirty Two, whatever next year's is. um, You know, be the best one yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So moving on. So now I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I had a, a rough sleep last night and not much sleep. Now I'm assuming you probably had the same for. you're probably the same for exactly the same reasons and that is because we were silly enough or maybe smart enough
2: (laughs) it uh, turns out silly uh, enough but that's okay
1: (laughs) to stay up to 11 a uh, 11 p.m for me and 1 a.m for you to uh, to sign up for the new kickstarter campaign that started as we were recording last night so um that it was. It was. It's been an exciting last twenty-four hours. Um. Again, by the yeah. time we're recording. Um. Yeah. So, so, for those who have come in late and you've been hiding behind a rock, or or you've just come out of isolation and you decided to turn on uh, your iTunes account as well, Mikael Luke, who's a, a Swedish uh, fan and one of our friends of Chronicle Chamber, who does our um, reviews of comics, who you will hear again mm. soon has has done a Kickstarter campaign for a phantom card game now we've done podcasts on it we've done articles on it we've got a um, uh, around the time this gets and gets released there's going to be a article um, uh, with a game demo there's other game demos and other reviews and stuff and so you know The good news is the status of the time of recording, it has been fully uh, fledged.
2: It is funded. (laughs) We're up. It's it's done. It's purchased. It's done.
1: Yes. So (laughs) you've signed up. Uh, you now have to basically pay for it, so um. <laughs> <laughs> make sure there's money in the bank account at the end of May. <laughs> yeah, or,
2: and, and you get your excuse ready for the missus when she asks, "What's
1: all this money coming out?"
2: <laughs> so have you? But the, just... the good thing about it is, it's it's not all that much money. And I was thinking about that today in terms of the difference in terms of the experience of following the Kickstarter between this and the Phantom board game. The Phantom Board game, there was a lot of tension in the last, I don't know, 48 hours or so, just hoping it was going to get across the line and was going to get funded. And then it did comfortably in the end because of that last-minute rush, which um, Dale and Alex said or hoped would come, and it did. Um, This one is completely different. It was fully funded, 100% funded in 15 hours after the launch. And uh, so now the chase is on for stretch goals, which is is pretty exciting.
1: And then as we've recorded, we've already done our first stretch goal, which is better card stock. And we believe there are another six that have already been planned. Uh, We don't know. I'm looking forward
2: to our next chat with Mikel to see uh, how much he's prepared to tell us about what they might be.
1: Yeah. On the Kickstarter campaign, they do kind of let you know of a couple. So go onto the website, have a look of the next couple. Um, But apparently there's six others after the one that's already been pledged. Now, I'm assuming you've pledged.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was um, one of the suckers who stayed up. Well, as you said, to one o'clock last night. We know we were messaging each other uh, in the countdown, waiting for it to drop. Um, I was very keen to get one of the uh, signed prints of Henrik Solstrom, the cover of the box, and yeah. I just didn't want to didn't want to wake up this morning and, and miss out on that. Now, as it turns out, you know, as I said before, maybe that was silly because wake up. Well, currently, even though the game's fully pledged, those um, signed prints are still available. Whether you want the purple or the blue. Yep. And, uh, you know, about so 15,
1: you can... of each, 15 to 20 of each of the purple and the blue. So it's still available. Yeah. So out of a hundred, yeah. there's about, you know, there's just, uh, just under half, maybe that are,
2: yeah. And, and obviously those are being picked up by the phantom, the yes. phantom collectors, the, yeah. the game players are just getting the plain game, which is fantastic or, or the deluxe game with the extra yep. cards. And, um, it's really apparent that this has landed well with the card game playing community because that's what's got it funded so far. It would seem to me, just with the numbers, and and I haven't looked in the last probably four or five hours, but there was only 30-odd Australians who had pledged at at that time, four or five hours ago, um, even though it's fully funded. So um, it would seem to me that the phantom collectors perhaps haven't jumped on board yet, but it's more the game players who have. Yeah, Which is a marked difference, I think, from the board game as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably the other two differences between the board game uh, campaign and this one, or maybe three, is for... And it's a different beast, like uh, the price oh, yeah. difference. So, like, for instance, the base of a board game was basically 90 to $100, and they had yep. to get 51000 Yep. You know, it's $40, maybe $50 once you include postage to get this. And to get the base sort of set, yes. Yeah. And it's 15000 for a fully pledge. <laughs> now, when you think hmm. about what ne- what needed to be done to be able to create it, that's understandable. The other Correct. one would be is that there's a lot more Swedish fans that have jumped on board of this than what they were yes. in the, um, uh, the board game as well. So that's another big difference is... I think from memory we were looking at about ten percent of of the board games mm. pledges were Swedish, and then mm-hmm. they the, they're the highest number at the moment they're about thirty percent or something
2: like by that. streets, yeah
1: yeah, which is so uh, that's another interesting thing as well so there's a couple of little interesting things and you know and they're different you know one's a card game one's a board game, but Analytical side of me does do all the yeah. comparisons, and I'm sure there's <laughs> other people out there that would that are comparing and and and, and stuff like that as well. So it, it's it's fun. I'm looking forward to the stretch goals, and um, yeah, hopefully we can learn about those soon.
2: Now let, let's um let's put our cards on the table. Pardon the pun. Um, you're you are famous for your scandy bent if I can say that, in terms of um, you, you do like the Scandinavian side of the Phantom. Um, did you order a blue Phantom box or the purple? I ordered or- both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Correct uh, collector's answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the completest
1: side of me where, you yeah. know, and, and to be honest, and this probably wouldn't come as a surprise, but I did actually prefer the purple, I mean, the blue version over the purple. Yeah. I just felt that the blue popped more against the red background than than the purple which was didn't pop and wasn't that contrast as much. Yeah. So if I had to go if I had to stick to one it would have
2: been the blue one. Yeah, no fair enough, fair enough.
1: All right, so while we're in Sweden, let's talk about the fact that in one of the last, I think it was two issues ago, they did their announcement for the best Phantom Man story. Now, this was some interesting results, and we've got an article on the website and stuff like that, so have a bit of a look at it. Now, there's three things I really wanted to kind of touch base on, or maybe four. Uh, The art has been a little bit different in some of the stories that won. Uh, There was, I think, there was two newspaper stories in the top five, and I think there was four in the top ten, which is quite a good uh, representation. I think, for memory, that's a better representation than the free um, uh, results from last year as well. Um, So that's you know that's that's interesting. Um, And then the twenty-second Phantom Saga didn't do as well. Now that's either the story wasn't good, which we will talk about later, or the fact that it was broken up into four four stories, and that's the reason why you've kind of got four four votes. You know, all votes spread over four stories. So, do you remember the article? Do you remember having a look at the results and anything jumped out of mine?
2: Uh, oh, look. The the things that jumped out at me were probably the things that you've just mentioned about the newspaper stories being so highly regarded. Um, obviously, a huge congratulations to Mikel Sol for writing the story that uh, ultimately topped the the charts, if you will. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't actually seen that published in Afro yet. That's correct. Nice. No, yeah. So, um, I'm, you know, clearly if it's that popular, I'm looking forward to, to reading it. Yeah. Um, I suspect... You know, in the same way that the Australian uh, Best of Fruit Twenty Nineteen mm. results had a strong Australian flavour, maybe there's some patriotism behind the reason why that one um, polled so highly. But also, you know, clearly it's a quality story as well. So um, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, but yeah, it was it was the the strength of the the dailies that uh, and the, and the Sundays um, stories that uh, that really piqued my interest and showed that yeah, clearly there is still that appetite for um, for those, dare I say it, more traditional stories that Tony DePaul, Mike Manley and uh, Jeff Weigel are pumping out.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely.
2: And and the Nomad bus, uh, sorry, a reckoning with the Nomad um, obviously was really popular and, and so it should be. It was a really good story and we've discussed that extensively in past podcasts and people can go back and check that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: No, it's I enjoy. It. it was. It's good to have a look at it. Now, some other news. Uh, jumping continents out of Brazil. So there's been a uh, a new phantom sculpture. Uh, you've had the opportunity to talk to the the sculpture. Mm. Um, you want to fill us in a little bit on
2: that one. Yeah, so Fabio Colt's his name, or you know, whatever the pronunciation of Colt is in, in Brazilian. Sorry, Fabio. Um, it's not a licensed product, which we should say up front because a lot of people, um, you know, that's very important for a lot of people. And, and I would say um, I certainly prefer licensed products above unlicensed products. Mm. But, gee, it's a great sculpture. And uh, the images that we're seeing of it, um, whether it's painted grey or red or blue or purple, and all of those options are available, the customer can can choose um, looks look pretty stunning and so I can certainly understand why there's interest in it um, he's gone very limited in terms of the numbers that he's producing 50 total um, and that that isn't 50 purple and 50 red that's 50 total sculptures that the uh, that the customer can then decide what color they'd like theirs to be so it's going to be a very limited um, piece and uh, yeah it, it's good to see someone having a crack at it um, from the interview or the the messenger chat I had with him, and I should say upfront, and and a lot of people I think who are <coughs> um, querying some of the posts he puts on Facebook, um, and and the la- there's a language barrier there for sure, and I think people need to be understanding of that when they're in conversation with Fabio. There is certainly a, a language barrier, um, but uh, look, he's enthusiastic. I'm really excited for the fact that he's got plans for another couple as well, and. Um, yeah, We're looking forward to seeing couple, what they
1: look like you mean small designs not another bust type of thing so you like uh, that's what you mean right
2: yeah no he's got two more sculptures planned yeah um not the not not a bust as such one uh, yeah. both dioramas is what he phrased them as and yeah. one will certainly include the skull cave so cool
1: no worries. So um, now just one last bit of news before we jump into the comics. Uh, and that's about our bushfire books. Again, just a bit of a, a report. When it's all finished, we do want to do a nice article kind of explaining everything and, hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. But we've still got about 20-odd books left. So mm-hmm. if you've been umming and ahhing, you might not want to delay because you will miss out. Um, I think
2: there's, I'll just hold it up here too, as a bit of a shameless promo. I think there's literally 23, 24 books left. And so, yeah, as you say, if you've been on the fence about whether you want to buy this one or not, now's the time Um, because um, we're not going to do reprints. This is is it. I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to raise so much money and I know you'll go over the figures in a moment, but um, at a time when the world is completely consumed by COVID, um, I'm really proud of the fact that we're still sort of ticking away and contributing to the bushfire appeal because that was horrendous at the time and, and people may have forget forgotten that a little bit now, yeah. but it was horrendous at the time and the effects are ongoing and COVID has only made it worse for the people who were affected. So um, if, if you, you know, I, I'm just really proud of the fact that we're still sort of ticking away and, and helping um, the people who were affected there.
1: Yeah, definitely. So over $25,000 has been raised and that's, through the book sales, but also through the sales of the art. Now, we've still got um, one piece of art that we need to faffle. Um, we haven't forgotten about that, but purely with things that are going on at the moment, and Dan's, uh will talk so you can have a look at that if you're watching it on YouTube, but with the things that are going on, we've just kind of held off for a little bit and we want life to get back to normal a little bit and then we'll faffle it in some one way or the other so you just yeah, want to
2: exactly talk right. so, yeah yeah so just holding that up again i don't know i've showed this in a previous podcast but that's the keith williams piece that appeared in the book and we will of course make sure that that is uh, faffled in some way or funds are raised out of it so um that that little 25 oh, little the twenty-five thousand dollar figure that jermaine has just said we'll just give that a last minute boost with this perhaps as a part of the celebration of selling the last of the books whenever we yes yeah
1: Awesome. So thank you for everyone for either contributing or um, uh, purchasing your copy. Um, So what we'll do is we will jump over to the comics. So we're going to hear from Mikkel. Now, Mikel's the man of the moment at the moment with the the Kickstarter campaign. So Mikel, over to you, buddy.
3: Today I will be talking about three issues, number 8, 9 and uh, double issue ten, eleven. For you YouTube viewers out there, my copy of uh, number 8 might look a bit different. Uh, That is because it never arrived. So this is just a blank piece of paper, Uh, but I've read the story through the digital app Flip. It has a cover by Rafael Ruiz, uh, another one of those ghost reimaginations that we talked about in an article on Chronicle Chamber. The main story, The River That Disappears, is written by Janne Lundström and art by Bertil Willemson. It's published first in 1970 and it's never been translated to English. It features an underground cave connected from a whirlpool that has this mythos created by the natives that it is a giant that sucks in the water and swallow those unlucky who ends up there. And in the second act there are some roughnecks that steal ivory from the villages around the river that leads to this whirlpool. And at one point Diana believes that the phantom is dead, but I will not spoil if he really is dead or in case you get the chance to read this. I enjoyed this story. It's much better than all the earlier Williamson stories we have read this year. Um, And the other story is The Mission by Falkenberry. Published three times in Phantom Men prior to this. Once again they chose the black and white version. In the beginning of this story, Rex is out looking for the Phantom. He travels from the Skull Cave via Whispering Woods, Phantom's Head Peak, Eden and ends up in Kilauea. and uh, it seems like it's an afternoon. Sometimes that distance seems a bit longer, or maybe I'm that's just me. Uh, In the plot the third richest man in the world takes a liking for Diana Palmer and pulls some strings to get her on a mission in Bulana, the country he rules over. Lily is of course delighted of this and the phantom gets a mission from Luaga to find out someone that is embezzling supplies worth many millions of money. He does not really know who is behind it but luckily some roughnecks jumps him, so he can beat them up and get some information from them. That information leads him to another guy, who also needs a bit of the old rough on rough necks and then he finds out who the real culprit is. Yeah, for me this is a standard Barry and that is good. Uh, still not happen with the chosen version of it and would rather see something that's not reprinted as many times as this one. Next up is issue 9, 2020, with a cover of Luca Arbata. It really looks cool, but is there some weird perspective or is it just my mind uh, because it seems like wouldn't devil be super big if that's on the top of this dam? Well, it still looks great. Uh, it starts off by presenting the outcome of the best story wo- vote. Uh, we went through this on the homepage, but in case you're coming in late, the winner was the devil in Stockholm. I thought that was a good adventure, but maybe it's because he was in Stockholm and I live in Stockholm. Um, so yeah, we, if you want to know more about that, you can check out the Chronicle Chambers article. Then we have the story, and that's Dissing, Dissuing Affairs, written in 1978. It's never been translated to English, and it's done by Donna Avenel and Eskan Erål this time it's in blazing colors this story is about an evil greedy corporation called Web, and they have the same logo as the Sing pirates have in uh, the billy zane movie uh, let's see if i can find it quickly here here it is maybe not the exact same logo but uh, it's bit similar at least Uh, and it happens a lot in this story. The Phantom destroys Webb's properties one by one until he uses his cunning to solve the bigger issue. He could have saved so much by doing that right away I guess but uh, yeah it happens a lot. It's much action and it's a mixed bag full of action and quite fun things but the dialogue is out of the world. People scream and speak everything uh, they know in such a unnatural uh, way Uh, for example we have this flight attendant that uh, presents the person the bad guy will sit next to with his title and research area and there's another guy who uh, is trying to stop the bad guys and gets in a sprint and when he's sprinting for his life he's screaming what he has to do to close down the operation it just felt unnatural but I guess it's more for the reader and for the phantom to understand what he needs to do. And more than once it felt like a lecture. Uh, it could have been a bit more subtle in the anti-big-business statements. And lastly we have the double issue 1011. The Secret Theater Part 2 Shakespeare in Venice by Klaus Romerty and Kari Lappinen. With a cover of uh, Luca Arbata. I think this, this is a great cover. I really lo- like it. Even though the phantom is not a big part of it. I, uh, the color and yeah, the eyes. Yeah, really good. Uh, the story is mostly about this astronomer. astronomer who believes that the church uh, is wrong. And science is right. And then it also is about William Shakespeare. Uh, but there's not many panels of the phantom in it uh phantom is really not in the i hear this when it's some fighting but mostly it's it's other people doing stuff and i i, I think the story is uh, really interesting and i really like the villain in this uh, story arc but As I said earlier about this kind of historic adventure, that feels like Phantom is more of an afterthought. And can it really be a great Phantom story when it feels like the Phantom doesn't have anything to do in the story? That's up to the readers, I guess. Uh, then we have this The Mysterious Stranger, Falconberry, adventure. Bank robbers uh, that hide on a cruise ship. The Phantom finds out, takes a chopper to the ship and saves the day. It's a good story, Uh, Barry Falk is usually good, Uh, too bad I read it a few times before and uh, those times I think I read it in color. And um, then we have a preview of the next issue, it will feature the revenge of the drummer a 1983 Tim Phantomen story written by Norman Walker with art by Knut Vestad. And another Barry fox story, The Hostages. I think they should have published the drummer of Tim Penny. Because then it, you would have both stories connected. But uh, yeah, they probably had good reason for not doing it. Uh, that's all for me. Happy Phantoming.
2: I'm just so disappointed that Mikel didn't just tell us about the Kickstarter. It's a bit of a shame, <laughs> given he recorded all of that days before the Kickstarter launched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but no, jokes aside, uh, huge thanks for doing that while you've uh, doing all the yeah. last minute preparations for the um, uh, for the Kickstarter. So there was uh, the three issues, and so we, we're really thankful for that. So. So what we'll do is we'll jump over to the Fru publications. Now, we're going to do things a little bit differently purely because, as some people will know, um, we are currently in the 22nd Phantom Saga parts. So we've had part one at the time of recording, then we've had a collector's replica, and then there's part two, part three, and part four to come as basically you were listening to this. And what we wanted to do is we thought we'll... Review all the other comics, and then we'll wait for these to go, and then we'll do a special podcast on those four parts. And I think it's going to be a rather interesting one, because there's some interesting developments out of just the first issue. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Now, if you are a little bit unsure about what's gone on and you can't remember what happened in the first three parts. On the website there or on YouTube, there's a 10-minute a wrap-up of basically the first three parts that so we've just done a bit of a video, a bit of a, uh, a diagnostic or, or whatever you want to call it. So if you're not sure and you don't want to dig out the issues, just jump on there, have a bit, of a, a, bit of a, a bit of a listen and a watch, and then maybe that might help you as you jump in. So what we'll do is, like I said, we'll talk about the 22nd Phantom Saga later. But what we're going to do now is we're going to go all the way back to the uh, back to the past and we're going to dig out Issue 1862, which is Inked in Blood Part 1 by Peter Anderson and Jason Paulus, the artist. And it also had The Heart of Darkness Chapter 7 Part 1. So, Dan, do you want to kick us off telling us about Part 1?
2: Uh, sure. I, I probably um, had thought... We are going to talk about Inked in Blood 1 and 2 exactly. together, and I'm, and I'm sure a lot of this conversation merges as we go. Right, well, but, what we'll um, do
1: is we'll, we'll do that. And then issue 1863 is Inked in Blood Part 2. That's the comic there. And then that also had another Heart of Darkness, which is Chapter 7 Part 2 as well. So again, by the same creative team. So Dan, do you want to kick us off with some of your thoughts of Inked in Blood Part 1 and Part 2, and then we can go, kind of
2: go from there. Sure and I'm just going to give us A, sh- a shameless plug because As uh, Jermaine has shown you those are the two Comics and the back page of both of them is The ad for the Bushfire Appeal book um, Which remains I Think for both of us um, a pretty Cool moment where we've had um, Something we've produced appear in a, in a Fruit fandom comic so what I like um, just, just a quick mention of that
1: what I liked is that we kicked off the free games uh, advert into the black <laughs> and white and we got the full colour. We uh, had a
2: bit of a laugh with um, Dale about that. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and we <laughs> must say a huge thank you to Dudley and Glenn and Renee for donating that advertising space as well oh. because, um, again, in terms of uh, raising money and, and keeping our costs down for them to advertise that uh, free of charge, um, yeah, thank you very much to Fru and the crew. Exactly.
1: So what do you think of the story? All
2: right. Yes. So the story, um, I, I quite enjoyed it. It's a, it's a really fast-paced read and um, particularly, I guess, the start of um, the, the double parter, the fact that there's um, – I was really taken by the fact that there's so little dialogue for the first three pages of part one. Um, I think there's two speech bubbles in the whole of the first three pages sorry there's three speech bubbles but one of them is actually in a comic and I'll get to that in a moment Um, so there's only two speech bubbles in the story um, in the first three pages and and that was a really interesting way to start we often hear from when we have our our interviews with creators whether they're writers or artists about the way that they want the pictures to tell the story and um, that was done really effectively here I thought so um, that was that was really good um, the stories are really quite fast paced There's action every second or third page And uh, it's constantly moving Constantly shifting And the way that it sets up at the end of the 22 pages For a bit of a What comes next It really does does leave you on tenor hooks um, For the next part Which I thought was quite cool mm, So yeah. that was well structured and uh, and well written I thought
1: That's the problem with the fruit comics Now coming out once a fortnight Is that when you get a part like this You've got to wait another two weeks <laughs> Well,
2: I, I've, um, I've learned my lesson and I didn't, uh, I didn't read part one until I already had part two in my, in my possession. So I knew I could just pick it up and keep going.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, one question before I go into it is in the Golden Eagle, which we reviewed in episode 148, the Phantom, and this was a sticking point between uh, the three of us, actually. We all had varying uh, opinions on it. The Phantom borrowed, and I use the word borrowed in in uh, in um,
2: little things, as in kicked the rider off.
1: Yeah, he borrowed a motorbike. Now, in okay. this, in Inked in Blood Part Two, he borrowed a motorbike as well. Now, do you do you feel as I don't want to use the word outrage because it's probably a little bit dramatic, but do you feel the same? Uh, I can't think of the right word, but did it? Did you kind of have the same feeling as what you did in in the Golden no. Eagle as what you did in this one?
2: No, I didn't at all. Because in Golden Eagle, um, there was just a motorcyclist riding past and the Phantom Fly kicked him off and then took his bike. And we had no inclination about who the cyclist was. Uh, it could have been just Joe Public riding past. Um, it, it, it wouldn't have been too hard, I would have thought, to set that up as a bad guy. And so, therefore, you go, okay, fair enough, Phantom's... So what yeah, about a cop? him. No, well, it's different because the cop's over having a hamburger and, or, or a hot dog, ordering a hot dog, and the phantom that's, quite clearly just doesn't have to punch him or kick him off his bike. He just walks over and goes, well, I'm just borrowing your bike, and he's using it for law enforcement purposes. So, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. That's, that's um, in the fine phantom tradition of, um, you know, uh, what's the word, commandeering vehicles to be able to do what he needs to do. The the issue within the golden eagle was, was um, you know, was, it the, it was kick? the kick against okay. potentially a very well, innocent bystander.
1: So it's not saying so uh, look- <laughs> stealing the motorbike that upset you, breaking the law, where in a sense this is probably even worse because it's it's a government property and you're and you're stealing something from the policeman, which means he can't do his job, i.e. he can't save someone. Or, or or, something
2: like that Is the fact that he kicked him that upset me more? Well, <laughs> well, I, I guess um, I am a motorcyclist And I've got my own bike And uh, the last thing I want as I'm <laughs> cycling down the road Is <laughs> someone to just like kick me off my bike I've got nothing to do with it So um, if the policeman's off having a hot dog And not saving the innocent party Then by all means The family should use the equipment to do it
1: yeah okay so but i reckon he probably broke more laws in this story than what he did in the golden eagle because then he also ruined police cars in the car chase as well so oh
2: that was their fault (laughs) they didn't have to go up that ramp
1: (laughs) so i'll raise all of that because it was a bit of a discussion that we had and then like the next issue there was another one and and i just i had a feeling that it wouldn't have been as and I, I, I take your point about the kick and stuff like that, but I just thought it was interesting that, you know, that...
2: Yeah. As know. I said, the Golden Eagle just needed a one frame to demonstrate that the... or, or one. Dialogue bubble or something would have uh, made the motorbike rider a bad guy, and so therefore all good, justifiable, um, yeah. absolutely.
1: <laughs> all right. So now I had to raise that. Uh, I had a good chuckle when I read that. And I thought, oh, I can't. Oh, look, I even wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it. I have no it. doubt and because I wanted <laughs> to ask you that question in the podcast. Now, the the thing that gets that I found interesting about this story is we've talked about this several times. Is about stories that could be condensed into one part or could be um, well, fleshed out, I guess, to be two parts. Now, I reckon this was one of those stories that has been fleshed out to become two stories. And one of the reasons why I say that is because Jason's using huge panels. Like, If you're looking at it, like this is probably one of the, you know, on page 17. You know, like, that's probably one of the more condensed uh, pages and there's still only five panels on there. And then if you compare that to, say, like an Egmont a Teen Phantom Men story, there's a lot more panels per page than what Jason has done on here. So I reckon this was has been a story that's fleshed out. Another point that I reckon this is, is because if you look at the last two pages of the story where you've got... the part two... Of part two, where you've got um, uh, what's what's her name? It's it's Maud. Maud is what's the wife's Maude, name? Maud.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: So you know she's trying on the clothes, which is two pages, and it's fun. But you know it's it's kind of like it's to me that's another indication that it quite possibly was a um, fleshed out a little bit to get to two pages. Um, mm.
2: Now, oh look, there's no doubt that the last two pages are an episode, if you like.
1: Three pages.
2: You know, no, no, I think the last page. If we're looking page 22 of um, part two, uh, that that could be the end. You know, that yeah. could comfortably be the end of the story. the The last two pages, 23, 24 of part two, are definitely like that. That it's an epilogue, it's mm. the end of the story that sort of ties the whole thing together. It makes him, and I don't mind it. I don't, but, I'm not in love with the character of Maud in this instance. Like, it's, um, you know, I'm glad that's not Diana who's doing that because it wouldn't fit the character of Diana, but it's, it's Maud. And maybe that's what she was like. And that's okay. It gives us that insight into the fandom as a human character yep. as well, not just yep. a, a superhero. So that's yeah. the sort of thing that makes the character more real. And that's the sort of thing that appeals to me, I guess. Um yeah. it makes it different I, from other characters.
1: Yeah, I don't have a problem with it either. I just see it as a way of kind of stretching the story
2: to fit two pages. Um, yeah, I, I think it serves a very valid purpose. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it just a stretch. I think it's just – I think it's a – a good use of that extra pages yeah
1: fair enough now i'm going to maybe it's because i didn't get much sleep last night but and i'm a little bit crankier but i enjoyed the first part but the second part i did not enjoy now and i have reread it twice to ensure that it wasn't that I just wasn't the time of the month for myself, Uh, you know, it was you know, (laughs) that I wanted to give it a proper go now, Peter Anderson knows the Phantom and um, there was one, I I don't think this was his best work and I don't say that I don't say that lightly because I know he's going to listen to this as well Um, and I know he will message me once he listens to this, now in my opinion, this story has the potential, but there's just a few little things that could be polished a little bit better. Like, I'll just look at page 10. So, you got the Phantom. Of which book? Of part two. So, you've got. Um, okay. So, you know, you got the Phantom being scary and stuff like that. Like, this, and whether it might not just be the writers, maybe the editor probably should have. Identify this as well, but this would have been a good opportunity for an old jungle an old jungle saying to be included in there And so there was just like those little things there that are just you know And as a school teacher you would know you have stuff that's passable, but then there's the that little bit of care that just lifts something from you know, like to something really really good and I just felt that this this both parts just lack that little bit of polish that could have made it a better story than what it is. And, um, and, and again, I feel like I'm just being a negative Nelly, but some panels of the art I really, really enjoyed. And I enjoyed like this one here, you know, there's a whole heap of, um, it looks like the spirit and there's that style and stuff
2: like that. So that's the splash page to, uh, on page one of part two.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, but then there's just some some, or even this one on on page four of the same one as well, where you've got the half the page of of the Phantom reading comics, um, at a, you know at the bottom of the bar and stuff like that. So there's some great panels in there, but then there's just some panels that that I really didn't like, and um, it, you know, like like this one here. Um, on this is again part two page 12 where the phantom's tying up the bad guy you know there's no detail of the phantom's face it just coloured it all in and it just it just and I understand that there's a shadow and all that but it just seems like there was some panels and there were some instances that there wasn't that care about it um, and because it had potential to be a good a good couple of comics a good couple of stories and it it lacked just that push to be able to make it a good a good story in my opinion
2: Mm. oh look i if i address your points in turn as i remember them um the old jungle sayings is a bit of a bugbear of mine i think Mm. um that's that's having the old jungle sayings is a really easy tie through for artists or sorry for writers to to bring the 85 plus years of history through the phantom and i think that for whatever reason modern writers and editors do seem to miss the opportunities to have old jungle sayings in it and i agree um off the top of my head and without going back and rereading it again i don't think i remember an old a single old jungle saying across this entire two-part story Mm. and there should be in a phantom comic there should be old jungle sayings that's part of the tropes that's part of yeah. that's part of how we recognise that it is the phantom. So really, I would think that phantom writers, if you want to aspire to write a phantom comic, should almost be looking for ways to include old jungle sayings and probably paring yourself back, making sure you don't do too many. Anyway, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's certainly not um, um, just Anderson at the moment. No. That seems to be something that's no. been happening for many years. But so, I also
1: reckon partly of the blame needs to be at the editors as well. Because they get yeah. it and they get it before it goes to print. And they should be going, ooh, 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 let's stick an old jungle. This it's, is the moment. This is yeah. the moment that when, the ty- when the phantom speaks, you know, you listen or, you know, what type, yes. You know, the phantom can freeze the blood of tigers or, you know, there's all those different types of old jungle. My,
2: as far as I know, there's something like 150 old jungle sayings that have been created. And we've seen in the last, I'm going to say, two to three weeks, um Tony DePaul has created a new one in the uh, newspaper strip now that's his prerogative and and um, uh, from my point of view his are the, the the ones in the newspaper stories are the only ones that count of course um so i'm I'm only counting the, the when I say one hundred and fifty I think that's um uh, from the newspaper stories now I would almost have a you know two a two a three posters above my desk if i'm the editor going of just all of those old jungle sayings now where can i work these in and which how can i mix these up and and use ones that haven't been used heaps before and that sort of stuff and all Um,
1: is putting one or two in a
2: story yeah correct so look we're absolutely nitpicking if we're looking at old jungle sayings but it is it's a classic trope of the character and we'd love to see more of them Um, Used so that we continue to have That differential between this and and Every other comic book character
1: The other reason why I think things like That are important Is because of The argument that we have And a lot of the time we play it up And stuff like that because it's A bit of fun but there are people That are very staunch in the way they read It and if it's not leaf If it's not leaf fork it's not phantom And so the old jungle sayings are just one of those Things that can help keep the old fuddy daddies happy, yeah. Because it's like, oh, there's an old jungle saying. Oh, yeah, I remember reading this story which had this jungle saying. So it feels the them connection. Up. It, yeah, there's the connection gives them all nice, warm, fuzzy feelings, and there's a bit of fun, and that's what comics should be about. That's so. It was just one of those things, and maybe I'm expecting too much from some writers and editors, but you know, and I know Peter Addison is a Phantom fan, and he's read Phantom comics longer than what I have. Yes. I, and maybe I hold him on a higher level than others, but uh, sorry, mate, but I expect I expect more from him.
2: <laughs> a little bit. Uh, let's have some hashtag OJS in the next story. <laughs>
1: uh, we're, we're so going to get a uh, a message.
2: Yeah. To to now them. I'm. Uh, you also mentioned Jason Paulus's art, and um, I'll I will also be the first to admit that. Not every page of Jason's art is for me. Um, aesthetically, I probably grew up on a different fandom. Um, you know, I grew up on Cy Barry's fandom and um, also loved Wilson McCoy's fandom and have come to love Ray Moore's fandom. I didn't love him in the early days, but I've certainly got a whole new appreciation for him now. Um, I, I hear what you're saying about about Jason's art. I, I don't know if, if the the lack of care is necessarily the right word because I think he puts... Yes, puts. I don't think it's um, that. Yeah, I, I think he um, I think he works very hard on every panel. Um, it's just uh, it's just not quite for me his style in terms of a. Um, of a full phantom story. That said, there are some pages that I absolutely love. And I think that he's drawn the the absolute nuts out of, if I can use that term, but, um, but it it won't suit everybody and that. And that's art. It's, it's um, subjective and, and what um, I may not like it, but you know, the next person may just love it. So Mm. who knows? But um, yeah, I I enjoyed the art and, and things like a dark face and that sort of thing. I, I do see that as the shadows and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's a it, it, art is for different people, and then that's in the eye of the beholder. So yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to see through, and, and absolutely no offence, but I wouldn't like to see through suddenly use Jason for all of their stories. Um, but I'm certainly happy for him to be in the rotation. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important that we do get a rotation of different artists because, like you said, yeah, you know. People have different tastes, and it's and it's good to be able to have different styles because it it can appeal to more people. Yeah. Um. And you know, you know, if there's more people that are appealed to it, there's a likelihood that there's going to be more comics sold, which means we're going to keep getting <laughs> more fan comics. So. Correct. <laughs>
2: and look, even even just the fact that the guys haven't missed a beat in these. Unprecedented times and uncharted waters, and all of the other cliches that are going around, um, they haven't missed a beat. And we've still been getting our comic every fortnight and all the rest of it, so yeah, um, exactly. you know, we, we're very lucky.
1: All right, so moving on to 1865. Now, again, as we've said before, we're not reviewing 1864, which is the first part of. Uh, the fight with singh which is the um 22nd uh, saga we're going to do a whole podcast on that and that could be an interesting um podcast and make sure you listen and subscribe to us so you don't miss out on that so this is a collector's replica issue number 23 now this has got some great stories in it it's got uh the Scorpio part one and part two which now if you've been listening to some of our other podcasts, The Scorpio and Scorpius, they kind of sound sim- similar. And, of course, The Scorpius is a series that uh, creator Shane Foley is doing for the Phantoms uh, Giant Size, which is uh, like a sister publication for Froon. So that is based off this story in a sense. So if you haven't read... If you've read Scorpius but haven't read Scorpia, make sure you pick up issue 1865 because Scorpia is a good story. I I enjoyed it. And then the other story is um, The Phantom's Engagement, uh, which is the Wilson McCoy version and not the Sybarry version that most people would be familiar with. Now, I will admit the art scanning and printing in these stories is actually quite nice. It's it's crisp. It's not fuzzy. Uh, there's a lot of editing involved and stuff like in the originals, but um, you know, there's been worse. Um, have you got anything you want to say about this?
2: Um, I really, really enjoyed <laughs> dipping back into this world, into Wilson McCoy's world, and into the the nineteen fifties stories. Um, I caught myself and. and um, I, I should have known better. I, sh- I, I always tend to skip the message from the publisher because I don't like the spoilers and I like to get straight into the story. So I just opened this and read it. And the because of the nature of their countdown, they've got part two of Scorpia before they've got part one. And um, I didn't realise that. So I read part two. You sort of pick it up and go, oh, this, is, yeah, this feels like a weird start to a story, but that's okay. I kind of know where this is going because I've read it before and uh so that was fine and then i get to the next part and go oh that's right this is part one of what i've just read is part two so it would have been nice for those to be in order in that sense i suppose but look i agree with what you said about the quality of the scanning and the the reproduction and i i just really love wilson mccoy's art and i really love the simplicity of these old stories so um yeah i (laughs) <laughs> and, and again, maybe it's the, a symptom of the times That I'm enjoying getting back to Remembering what I loved as a child And that sort of thing But I really, really, really enjoyed uh, This particular replica series issue
1: Yeah, so just something a little bit interesting Issue 131, which is that cover there Which is The Phantom and Diana are Embracing If you're listening to us on the podcast And not watching on the YouTube That is actually one of my all-time favourite free covers um, So basically what I'm doing is I'm not aiming to get free comics all the way to one because I'm spending my money on else and what <laughs> on I a do, mortgage and things <laughs> yeah what I do is I only get free covers below 500 that I actually that appeal to me and that's actually one of the covers that is actually on my wants list because it's a cover that I actually really 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 like so um it was a nice little kick I guess Getting that um, It's interesting you say They should have just done 132 and then 133 That just makes more sense Yeah, Dawn would have picked up that the numbers Were around the wrong way but people Would have got confused with the story um, I also Find it interesting in, the, in a Recent message from the Phantom No in a recent letters In the back of a comic I can't remember which Issue it was mm-hmm. but one of the people Actually makes mention that they should change the covers every five issues instead of every 10 issues. So um, I can't remember who said that, but that's something that we've been saying quite often. And uh, Dudley, if you need a bit of a tally to be able to push you over the edge for that decision, put me down for changing this cover every five issues instead of 10.
2: Yeah, and look, I'll I'll probably vote for that as well because as much as I love this um, this issue and I think it's Clayton Barton is the yes. is the artist um, if you go for 10 issues in a row that's two and a half years at the, at the ratio of four of these replicas per year so that's a, it's just a long time to see the same um, cover come around uh, so I, I, I would probably vote for that as well
1: all right cool so we're actually making good time guys I hope um, you are enjoying it and you're having fun uh, remember that's what this podcast is all about and that's what the fandom is all about as well Let's have some fun in time So what we're going to be talking about now is the fruit trade paperback number three now I must admit I had a real good I had a real smile on my face when I saw that Fru release this um, You know, it was just like it just you know, maybe I'm getting Soft or something like that in my old age and having daughters, but it filled me with a nice warm feeling Seeing this trade paperback, so um, you know I, I, I liked it. Oh, I... It was it, it's a, it's a great story, and then the fact that they, there's the um, a sequel or the you know the prequel that goes with it, which is following the tradition that I've already done, um, and it's 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 presented nicely. Now, in my opinion, part six is not is probably the weaker story out of the six um, but it's still fun you know it's nice to get it in color where we've only where Australians have only ever seen it in black and white there's a lot of probably uh, non Australian readers that will probably pick this up as well uh, especially probably the Indian community because it is in color and it's of filming and filming is quite popular over there as well um, and I really really like the idea of them publishing a collection of old or classical, whether it's newspaper stories or team phantom Men stories, and then creating a sequel or even a prequel to go with that. It just, it makes sense to me. And, you know, and if you're looking on YouTube, you'll see behind me, I got a whole bunch of hardcover books and stuff like that. It, you know, that's something that I like. And so I, I really enjoyed it and um, two thumbs up to Fruit from my opinion for doing this.
2: Yep, um, look I um, would commend anyone to go and have a look at our um, YouTube review of this because um, I filmed that probably last weekend um, that was very much focused on the, the trade paperback as a product and as a product I, I stand by it I gave that 4.5 good marks out of 5 last weekend um, and it is. It's a really solid product as a, as, a, um, as a package, something you can put on your shelf. It's got those colour pages, as Jermaine has said. It, it captures a, a five-part story that was uh, probably seminal for us. It was around the time... I certainly remember buying these off the, off the newsagent news shelf. You might have had to go backwards a little bit to collect these yeah. ones, I think, Jermaine. Um, but it was certainly a story that I remember... Coming out at the time, um, talk more about the story in a moment. But the fact that I remember it from then yeah. suggests that I must have engaged with it pretty well. I'd be interested to know whether through choosing which ones they put into trade paperbacks based on sales or just based on the ones that they really enjoyed themselves. Either way, it's uh, you know it's a choice. I but, um, I've got the sales back from. Uh, 1994. <laughs> you wouldn't. You know, it depends on how, how good Jim and Judith were with their um, with their record keeping. <laughs> it's probably not in an Excel document. It's fair to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I if, if it was written down on a bit of paper, so it could probably have got thrown out during the move. Um, <laughs> well,
2: it but, would have existed, though. I think.
1: <laughs> but like, I could see through doing this more often. Of, and I wouldn't want it just to be Team Phantom Men stories. I like to see, you know, whether they alternate it like team, you know, a collection of Team Phantom Men stories, and then a collection of daily or Sunday stories, or even a mixture of the two and all that. But publishing some of these old classics, and that's what the trades is, and what this, you know, and what we've seen in the first two as well. I it just it makes sense, and then the idea of creating new stories that can fill in a hole or or, or or whatever. And, you know, if you go through if you go through Lee Fork stories, pretty much every single story, there they quite easily, probably 80% at least, quite easily there could be a um a prequel or a sequel in some form. Like yeah. I saw a panel today from um, I think it was the the Phantom was riding after an adventure with the golden people. Was with the flower, the golden flowers, and then there was, there was a previous Phantom that had the adventure, and so he's retelling story. And all we see is like about four panels of a previous Phantom, and you know, then the Phantom has a question like, you know, what was that like, or something like that. So you know, a quite easy sequel would have been the Phantom finishes that adventure, and then he goes into the Skull Cave and reads about. The fourth, tenth, thirteenth, whatever, Phantom who has that adventure, and you know that's you know there's there's heaps of stories like that, and um, it's something I would like to see more.
2: Yeah, and and look, to be fair, the, the trade paperback number three, the Triads, is the first time that they've um, that Fru have extensively republished a, a Team Phantom story. The first trade paperback was origin stories and that included a mix of Lee Fork and Team Fundament stories as they explained various elements of um, the origin of fandom um, elements and tropes that, you know, sort of mentioned already before. Um, the the second trade paperback was Lee Fork stories and sequels to those Lee Fork stories, which were brand new and written by, I think, almost extensively Australian creators. Um, oh, you know, the. Yeah, a a mix of Australian and Scandinavian creators. And then we've got the Triad Saga, which is the collection of Team Fundament stories with um, an Australian author writing that part six, as you've you've already said. So um, they're mixing it up, and and I wouldn't like them to see get... I wouldn't like to see them get stuck in any one of those um, all the time. But the, the, the blend seems to be really effective at the moment. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, I like the fact how they're in colour... You know the like the newspaper stories have been coloured. Um, it just it's it's a sweet spot, and you know we've discussed this back in issue uh, podcast one forty eight. If we're going to get less regular issues and more of these, in my opinion, that's a good thing. Now,
2: so okay, that raises a question that came from one of the um, the letters. To in, I th- in, I'm pretty sure it was 1863, the second part of Ink In Blood, someone suggested that rather than a public, rather than a comic every um, fortnight, that Fru go to um, four 22-page stories per month. So they only end up issuing 12 comics. And Dudley, in his reply to that, he seems pretty open to the idea. So how would you feel if Fru dropped their fortnightly publishing schedule, went to once a month, but also had the trade paperbacks.
1: Okay. That's a good question. Um, the only thing I would say in not in favor about that is that for still make most of their sales through the news agent.
2: Mm. Um, and you need a turnover there.
1: Yeah. That's in a sense. That's, you know, and in most businesses you have that service that pays the bills that you know, is your bread and butter is what you build your business upon and in my opinion that for free and i haven't seen the books i haven't talked to glenn dudley or renee about this or anything like that this is just my opinion top of my head as you throw the question i would expect their fortnightly comics to be their bread and butter and then this stuff to be the cream on top all the stuff that Mm makes it a good year and stuff like that so you're right it's a good good suggestion but i would i would be cautious about it
2: yeah i'd certainly be very sad to see through drop the Fortnite publishing schedule because i do enjoy getting those comics once a fortnight and to think that there would suddenly be only 12 per year if they went to go monthly that wouldn't that wouldn't satisfy me
1: (laughs) no no um it'd be like being on a diet um uh, yeah. just become miserable. Um right. so, <laughs> although, okay, so the although, triad saga then although our current you you think... news podcast might be
2: shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well that's true. That's true. Less to talk about every month. Um the triad saga then, what did you think about it as a story? At you I, I assume you've reread the five, uh the six uh, yeah.
1: So I've I've re read I've reread the five. Um I now yeah. I enjoyed part six, but it's, you can tell it's not part of the original canon or, or lack of a better word of the original five.
3: Cause it's yeah.
1: a, it's a different tone story. Parts one to five is intense. It is an, it is an intense raid. There's people dying. There's people that you like that die. Like there's glowing lotus that dies. There's um uh Colonel Colonel Weeks or you know, Patrolman Weeks's best mate that dies and stuff like that. And then there's the other tri- the young tribes guy in uh part one that dies as well. You know, these are all likable characters. Um they die. And so it is an intense read. Um it's probably something that you wouldn't you know, that you would question Younger people to read um, But yeah.
2: That, that said I've just finished watching the Harry Potter um, <laughs> Series of movies with my 10 year old And anything uh, that happens yeah. in there pales <laughs> you know, The Phantom Comic pales in comparison To what yeah, happens in true. Harry Potter so.
1: <laughs> I don't know I watched the first one And was bored so I didn't bother watching the rest uh, uh,
2: You'll get there as You girls grow up
1: Hopefully not <laughs> uh, I'm in my little pony at the moment um, <laughs> But no so So triads parts one to five is very different than part six. Like in my opinion, and I just reread, reread part six tonight is it's fun for the lack of a better word. It's, it's a, a, and this is a, a, it's, you could probably say it's typical filming in the sense that it's a, it's a fun, romantic 60s style uh, story, um, the art top notch. You cannot fault the art at all. Um, I found it interesting, and I'd, I haven't looked at it closely enough to see whether. And I didn't notice anything whether there was any editing or censoring, but I couldn't pick up on anything like that as I was reading it. So I, you know, I don't know whether there was, but it all seemed above board for. <laughs> um, there was a couple of things with the story line that was a little bit weak, like the fact that the phantom carried around a, fa- uh, a, fa- a lighter, which and then he burnt you know the bush in on you know, page 192 to194. That was a little bit flimsy in my opinion. Um, but I had fun reading it, and at the end of the day, you know I had my intense parts in one to five, and then I have some fun. Towards the end, so
2: mm, fair I, enough.
1: Playing too much. I um
2: yeah, I, I guess a, a, again this is probably the English teacher in me. Um, if I was if I was um, providing draft notes to the authors, and it's Clasteromathy for the first three, and then Andrew Constant for the last one. If I was if I was providing draft notes for those guys, there's probably two panels in particular that I'd have big question marks around. And one of them is for Klaes Ramethi in um, part two of, um, of the Triad Saga and part two of, of course, the five thunderbolts. Um, it's just a really glaring thing, which is about... It's on, it's on page 63 of the trade paperback, um, which is about 20 pages into part two, where the fandom says, oh, it suddenly occurred to me that that tattoo was the sign of the Triads. What do you mean? It suddenly occurred to you? You know, we're we're twenty pages in. And he's going, oh, that thing that happened in comic one, I've suddenly realised that that's a big picture thing. So that that was just a bit of a, um, a, 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 it's a comic book jump, you know, to go, oh well, I've I've there's a problem here and I've solved it this way. And likewise, I guess with um, um part six, which is um, return to, you no, know, yeah, return of the Tiger Queen, um turns out that the tiger queen who in part three quite clearly died um in part six they go oh no i didn't die and that's it that's that's the problem solved um so the you know those two i guess narrative jumps bothered me as a as a as an english (laughs) teacher i suppose and um i i understand it and it's a comic book world and we just make that jump and we get over it and that's fine um the other the other thing i'd say about parts one through to five is i just i would like to see the phantom a whole lot more um there's there's 10 pages in a row that's just more exposition and what's going on behind the scenes and we don't see the phantom and it just takes forever to come back into it so um i didn't actually reading these five parts of the original triads together i actually didn't think they stood up as well as they did when they were published two weeks apart and you probably forgave them those continuity things a little bit more than you do when they're all stacked up together like this. When, the, the five parts... You also
1: weren't a school teacher back then, either. You were no, a, probably a, a not. Kid.
2: But um, <laughs> but but when you look at these five parts together, you could take part three, the Tiger Queen, out and it would make no impact to the overall story arc. It, it doesn't contribute at all. She's not a member of the Triads gang. She's just someone who tries to steal the weapons as they go through. It's um it's almost an irrelevant part to the story, and by part three of five, you should be really building towards a climax. And so, um, yeah, for that reason, as a whole, I enjoyed re I enjoyed re engaging with the triads, but it probably didn't, um, yeah, I probably didn't enjoy it as much the second time as I did as I seem to remember myself reading it back in the nineties.
1: Yeah, and I think that happens. I think that's natural and it happens probably a lot of the time. Like if you, you know, if you pick up even a leaf fork story you, that you would have really, really enjoyed as a kid and you read it now, especially as a school teacher compared to a kid, you you will pick up more on the plot holes, the more that, and then even doing the podcast as well. You know, that's what we do. we, look at things we dissect things and stuff yeah that that
2: said that said of and I've just said the collector's replica I really enjoyed revisiting that so I do think that in the you know we all know Lee Fork's a genius we wouldn't we wouldn't be here doing this podcast if he hadn't had a brilliant idea 80 90 something years ago and then written so many quality stories it's very hard to walk in the footsteps of Lee Fork um it's it, Triads is a good story. I enjoy. I like the fact that it came together as a trade paperback. Um, but yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, the, the the collectors replica series was um, quite an enjoyable dip back in nostalgia. I didn't get that same feeling from the Triads.
1: Fair enough. Well, I did. I enjoyed it a lot. Okay,
2: now something- Last want- one, last, last thing that I should say, and I didn't put this up in the YouTube um, review and I did that on purpose because I don't, you know, the YouTube review, you're trying to be positive and, and uh, not pick up on any of the negatives. I also, you know, we need to be honest and forthright. I really, this continues to niggle at me. It's the, uh, the cover of the trade paperback and if you're on YouTube, you can see me zooming in on the Phantom's belt on the front cover of the trade paperback. There should be a skull on that film, man. There should be a skull on the belt buckle of the Phantom's belt.
1: I wonder how many, if, if this is the first time you've noticed that, let us know, or if you noticed it straight away as well, let us know as well. It'll just be interesting. It's something, uh, once after we talked about that, I read a Phantom story. I can't even remember where it was, but they also had the belt, the skull insignia missing from the belt buckle as well. Uh, and so I had a, bit, had a bit of a chuckle with that. Felmang's obviously not the first person to do that
2: No, and then, and look, I guess in conjunction with that, there's a number of times through the Triad stories that the fandom's skull ring is on upside down for whatever reason, And if he was to punch somebody, an skull...
1: He's turning around because he knows I'm going to uppercut you, you
2: know He's mate? a quick thinker if he can manage that <laughs> It's like... Um... Oh, was it,
1: was it Sherlock with uh, Robert Downey Jr., that movie you know, where he foresees how the fight's going to go? It's simply a case of that. The Phantom's like foreseen how it's all going to happen. He's flipped gonna, his ring
2: around. I'm going <laughs> to
1: uppercut this guy, so I'm going to flip the ring upside down. So that way, you know, when he gets sculled, it's, uh, it's the right way. Yeah, anyway, um, yeah, we have to talk about the President Kennedy's uh, graphic novel um now we 've got as this comes out, there will also be a video review of that as well, um, so you could review of that basically again, very similar that kind of talks about it, talks about it as a general overview, and it's also uh, just the one of us uh, in this case Dan reviewing it as well. This is going to be a bit of a discussion with two of us going backwards and forwards like we just did with the triads as well now um, uh, you happy for me to go first Or is there something you wanted to say before um, On top of your video review
2: No just to clarify that this is the Hermes Press paper um, Trade paperback Which is a hard cover as opposed to the soft cover From uh, from through. And um, it, I was able to purchase this in about um, March uh, Maybe late February Of 2020 from my local comic book store And it's certainly available also in yep. um, yeah, Off the web
1: yeah, and if you um, you know if you're in Australia or something like that, there's places like you know, you can always do it via Amazon or Booktopia and stuff like that. Um, so now this it, it's well, let me say up front that it's good that we've actually got this because this has been uh, kind of like the boogeyman or the you know, the uh, Moby Dick type of, you know, uh, for, for Herms, um, well, there's a couple of those, but um, <laughs> this is out. The story is out, the story is printed, st- you know, and people can actually read it after getting the first part and then having to wait a good year, I think it's even close to two years as well. Now, there's parts of this that I enjoyed, and then there's parts that... I didn't enjoy now i would give... I'll
2: talk uh, talk to us about it as a product first because that was certainly okay. how my youtube review yep. went what do you think of it as a as a book that you can put on your shelf
1: okay if i was to give it two votes so a vote for as a product and then a vote as a story and then i'll give an overview so as a product ie we're talking about the hardcover you know um you know, the care that's put into it, the back pages that's got the, um, you know, the progress shots and stuff like that, I would give it probably a four out of five. I really do like the way that they have put this together. Um, There's care in it. There's a high uh, attention to detail, which I like. It's hardcover. It's weighty. It's going to, you know, if you get it posted, it it will cost you a little bit extra. But unfortunately, if I was the... give a vote on the story, I would give it probably about a one. Um, I'm probably, and again, I'm not sure if this is uh, just because I'm tired tonight, but I've read it three times now to see if I can get it to change my mind. Gosh. Uh, I read it back in <laughs> December. I read it when uh, I thought we were going to discuss this back in 148, And then I've given another read tonight as well. So I have done my homework on it. I have tried to, to not be just a, a reactionary type of person on it. I didn't like it at all. Um, there's a few things in it. Now, Ron Goulart, he's a great writer. Now, I was talking to some other people and they made the mention that there was very heavy in the dialogue and I'm sure you're probably going to say exactly the mm-hmm. same. And Ron Gula, we
2: should say, was uh, responsible for at least some of the Avon novels, Um, so wrote those prose Phantom stories back in the 60s and 70s. Yes.
1: Now, he also wrote a a Moonstone story as well. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Treasures of Bangala, which was the fifth graphic novel. Now, that is also a very text-heavy comic, so it is his style. Ron likes using words. Um, He'll probably be good on this podcast. Um, (laughs) Now, Sean Joyce was the penciler. Now, I will admit, like, I look at his pencils in here, in the back of the book, if you're listening to the podcast or if you're on YouTube, you can see it there. Now, his pencils are amazing. However, I look at those pencils and then I look at... What has actually happened in the print quality in my opinion? There's a stark difference. So At first when I was reading this, I was rather negative against Sean. I still am because there's still some aspects that I think he has stuffed up on Um, but I don't I think a lot of the fault has to be on the inker Whoever inked it did not do the pencils justice in my opinion now Some things that I didn't enjoy this was there was a lot of excessive bum and lingerie shots. Uh, (laughs) You know, like this one here on page 17. I just don't think that's necessary. And then there's when the Phantom um, talks to Diana. Next page. Again, is it really necessary? I don't really think so. And then there's Ones when oh, I should have written down the page number. Um, I think they were at a cafe or something like that, and or it was the secretary of the president or something like that. And she's kind of added in to the center of the panel, bending over
2: or something like that for purely no reason at all. So, well, those are Sean Joyce's choices because yes. Yeah. Has- yeah. When you've just praised him for the pencils, which I agree with. Um, yeah. Those are his choices. So.
1: Yeah. 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 And, you know, I did say that I'll give him a bit of slack on the inking, but yeah, I didn't like some of his choices on there. Now, I find it interesting. Um, I don't know how to word this, so I'll just say it and it'll come out wrong. Um, I'll be interested to see actually who's the editor of this story and whether it was Dan or whether it was his daughter, um, because there's some scenes in there that uh, I would expect the male probably to approve, but a female would, I would normally expect them maybe to pick up a little bit on and question it. Um, now, also at the start of in the first one, the fonts are way too small, especially at the start
2: Um, any of the narrative boxes in particular Yeah,
1: it's just it's really hard to read it's really light as well and so you're almost having to get your head right to it just to be able to actually read it now there's a couple of other things that I wanted to pick up on Um, it's in the first part this part here page 16 so so the Phantoms going to the American consulate, all right? This is so. This is the American
2: consulate,
1: <laughs> and he's rocking up in his Phantom costume, yeah. walking down Main Street uh, like he's in his trench coat. That, you know, we talked about about the jungle sayings, and you know, we had a go at the writer for that. We need to have a go at the writer for this one, and also probably the the editor. who should have picked that up and said, ah, 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 ah. he needs his trench coat on. Sean, go back and. Redraw it
2: back on. Um, that. Oh, is, uh, no, the, the doorman says, Welcome home, fandom. Mr. Caleb is expecting you. So the yes. doorman just knows, Oh, this is going that's the fandom. That, when does that ever happen? It, you're absolutely right. It's completely outside the fandom universe. And it's the American
1: consuls. Uh, I would give them a little bit of slack if it was the Bengal. Consulate or something like that. Maybe. I said a, yeah,
2: bit of yeah. a, sl- a bit of a slap. Yeah, yeah. I can see maybe how you could do that.
1: But this is the American consulate where Americans don't know or shouldn't know the Phantom, where Bengalans maybe a little bit more, you know, oh yeah, I'm aware of the Phantom. But, you know, Team Phantom Men don't make that mistake. You know, and- um so that was a rather big boo-boo in my in my part the other boo-boo which is probably more i'm not sure whether it's a coloring issue and this is one that um i must admit i had to double check this uh a, a, a Letha or the the journalist at the start of the story she's african-american towards the end of the story she's a lot more caucasian so the editing again of that should have picked up on that and asked them to put a, you know, to change the colours a little bit.
2: I can't say I noticed that, but honestly, by the end of the story, I was paying way less attention, Yeah, to
1: fair. and And I don't know what happened with the art, and this is where I do need to praise Herms, because obviously the, the art styles has changed a lot from at the start to towards well, the
2: end. The Sean Joyce is getting help with the pencils by, the end, uh, by part three. Um, yeah. Raquel, Raquel Lopez is assisting on the pencils by the time we get to the third story.
1: And the, uh, It's a pity because I could live with Sean Joyce's pencils and inks, but towards the end, the art was, getting, it was, was worse than the story. Um, and Ooh, it was that's all, a big call. And it was almost unreadable because of the art. I could, I I could live with the story. But the art towards the end was disappointing. But in saying all of that, you have to give credit to Herms to actually seeing this through. It would have been very easy to just to say, oh, it's too hard. We'll just release issue one. We'll just leave it there. It's happened before. Comic publishers have done it. And it could have just become one of those unique phantom publishing you know things that just never happened and in 50 years time we would have said what happened to that but they stuck through it and you have to give them credit for that but the product or the story is probably about a one
2: i cannot argue with much of what you've said honestly it's um no i think you i think you've summed it up really well the, it was just so disappointing. disappointing. Um, a, a lot of the things that you've just picked up on were in issue one. And um, a lot of the things that you've just shown us on the YouTube were in issue one. And it was, um, you, would, you were hoping then, you had a bad feeling in your guts then that it wasn't going well, but uh, you were hoping then that it might turn around. And it just it just didn't. Yeah. Um, the, you're you're absolutely right in terms of it was overwritten with far too much dialogue, and um, I'm trying to to get a fantastic page to, to demonstrate it. But even that, you can just see the amount of um, word balloons four, four, five word balloons in a single panel. They're just covering so much of the art. Um, you know, you look look at all of the look at all the white bubbles across this two page. What what a shame for the artist um, to have all of their work covered by so much um, dialogue. And it was ultimately so unnecessary. It was just extra reading you didn't have to do. Um, You write the lettering, made it difficult to read sometimes, particularly those narrative boxes. Um, There were leaps in the story and just discontinuity amongst panels and pages that I guess we understand the reasons for that because it was initially slated as five comics that were going to be um, what 30 pages each and ultimately we've ended up with a trade paperback that is and I'm just flicking backwards to find yeah, the, the total page count of the story about not even 74 74 pages is the that's the last page of the story it, it's bulked out with some um, uh, you know those those covers and that sort of thing Um, The the progress pages but 74 pages Ultimately is the the total of the story So it's obviously been slashed And hacked and chopped and that sort of thing And it hasn't been done um, With a view To the overall story arc Well maybe it has but it just hasn't been successful I
1: I thought I thought Slashing it from five issues With what you said of Even if you just go 20 pages which is 100 pages down to 75 That's that's what uh, about a third, a third of the 25%, overall story. Twenty five percent, which is a quarter. Um, I thought they did a good job in in being able to condense it, so it actually kind of you know. I wonder if you read it, you would actually know that there was big chunks missing out of it. I,
2: I felt like you could tell. Um, yeah. Maybe because I already knew and was aware of that, but gee, it just—it was so jumpy in places.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was definitely jumpy. Um, I also think it could have been, and it was an—it was an okay touch, and I could see it might have been all right in a five-part. But the the blossoming between blossoming romance between the bad girl and the astronaut—it was. It was a cute touch, but it had nothing to do with the actual Phantom story, and it took up probably ten pages, mm. and you know, which meant that we had ten pages of the story or the Phantom that we missed out on.
2: Yep. Um, so, yeah, I would, look, it would give it probably a two. I can't remember off the top of my head what I said in the video podcast, uh, the video review of it as a product. I probably would have said around the three and a half, four, I think. Oh, I think um, and even, three or three and a half. Did I? Um, and, and to be fair, that that was probably already affected by my um, knowledge of the story. I probably wasn't quite able, because as a product, it's, it's really good. <laughs> it is a product if it's on your shelf and you never open it <laughs> and you never open it and read it, um, maybe just do a flick through. It's not too bad. The, the story arts bodgy in places, but uh, as a product, it's not too bad. But I, I, two out of five is probably generous for it as an overall package if you count the desire to actually read the story.
1: Mm. Some of the covers I really did like, though. Particularly um, the
2: one that I don't think we ever actually yeah, saw published,
1: which is the astronaut, which is the montage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that one. That's probably my favourite of all of the covers and you're right, it never got published, which, which is disappointing because I would have been very happy if that was on any of them. Um, yep, probably that, the that, that double-page
2: spread you just held up with the black and white version and the colour version is probably my favourite double-page spread of the entire book.
1: Probably the weakest cover and probably the cover I have the most issues one is this one here. Which is just, I
2: couldn't even get my G.I. Joe dolls to stand like that if I tried
1: Which is just a bunch of um, condoms uh, A bunch of walnuts in a condom really um, But no, I enjoy Yeah, Look, I'm glad it came out um, I've already read it three times to try and give it a I'm
2: really impressed that you've read it three times I've read it once I read, the, I re- I read issue one and then I went through and read the trade paperback as a whole, and I don't think I'll ever do that sort of damage to my brain again.
1: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So now and
2: that's really harsh, and I apologise to the the good people at Hermes Press, but uh, yeah, just the, the overall story just was a big letdown.
1: Now, some people may think that it's quite easy to can stuff, uh, you know, behind a microphone and all that. Just just setting the record straight. My feedback, which I've just said, I've actually given that feedback to um, the people at Herms. They gave me a, um, a copy to read uh, late last year uh, and they asked for my feedback and that's basically the feedback that I did give them. So, you know, if someone thinks I've been a little bit harsh, I have been harsh to them as well with my feedback. Um... One thing, I've been rereading some Moonstone stories recently with our podcast that we did with Mike Bullock recently and stuff like that. One thing that I think that they did do well, and this is probably the thing I'll finish up, is if there's publishers out there that are doing new stories, i.e. Herms and stuff like that, they need to get a phantom consultant or someone who understands the phantom to kind of read or look at the stuff before it actually goes to publication. Because... Moonstone would have not made those mistakes um, because they had people like Ed Rhodes, Pete laws and also uh, Brian Shedden, who's the Australian, uh, actually looking over everything before it actually went to print. So they were sent stuff and then they made, and I know they made changes because I've talked to them about it. Um, you know, Fru has Glenn Ford as the editor, who's a fan of fans since the, uh 60s let's go with the 60s um <laughs> you know so he knows the phantom uh, so mistakes like that wouldn't have gone through um and you know customer has been writing phantom stories since the 80s and stuff like that and um, and i know he's involved i've also got andreas and there's some others and stuff like that as well who read over stuff as well if if you're if someone's out there and they are thinking about creating Fan stories. Do yourself a favor and get a consultant, a fan consultant. Most people would do it for free, because mm. most of us just love the fan and we want to see good stuff. But get someone out there to have a look at stuff before it goes to print, before it goes to uh, pre-production, because there's some mistakes in there that could have been fixed uh, with someone looking over it before it went. Yep. Yep. And that's 100%. not. And that's not me or us. Uh, promoting ourselves to get a job that's purely because if someone does that we get a better product which means we enjoy it and other people enjoy it as well <laughs> okay so now if you've enjoyed our reviews and stuff like that or if you haven't enjoyed our reviews and you think we've been or I've been a little bit negative and uh, you want to tell us that you are um, your opinion You can do that via our social media and stuff like that as well. So uh, we will tell you the links about that in a second. But I just wanted to let you know that we are more than welcome to hear you give us feedback on our feedback on Phantom Stories. So uh, Dan, anything you want to touch on that I haven't said before? Otherwise, we'll go straight to the outro.
2: No, just to encourage people, if they're listening to this and they haven't jumped on board with the card game Kickstarter, by all means, head across to that. We're gonna, I, we didn't say it at the time, but I'm sure we'll provide a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes for this episode so that you can just scroll down and jump on that. Um, at the time of recording, Sweden... Is leading the way by about uh, three to one in terms of backers, mm-hmm. and Australia is a, a sad third at the moment behind um, old American old. supporters as well. So I'm a bit I'm a bit surprised that Australians haven't jumped on board a little bit more. Uh, by all means, uh, yeah, it's backed. It's going to be it's going to be made, and we've seen enough and talked to Mikkel enough to know that he is ready to go it's just a matter of getting the funds to send it to the printers and press go it will happen there's not the risk with this one now um it, it's ready to go it's going to be quick so um i'll <laughs> Mikhail, if you're listening to this i've now just staked my reputation on your efforts so make it happen <laughs> but anyway nice. yes if you're listening to this and you haven't backed it in yet jump on the link in the show notes and uh, support the card game.
1: Yeah, and even if it's just because you're an Australian and you want to get one over the Yanks or the uh, the Swedish. (laughs) And if you're from those places, you might want to back it to keep us Australians down (laughs) so you can hold one over us as well. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Patriotic pride going. Um, (laughs) So, no, we thank everyone for listening to our podcast. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you had fun. We hope uh, if you're stuck in isolation or you're stuck at a job or you've been swapped or or whatever, have some fun. Listen to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, if this isn't your first podcast because you've jumped on board because of another reason or a Kickstarter or, or whatever, you can subscribe to us on our iTunes account or if you're um, using an Android phone, you can also subscribe as well now all of this is possible purely because of our patreons now uh one of dan's jobs in the next two weeks (laughs) that he is going to be updating the phantom preservation project um so that hasn't been done for five months
2: um there was a bushfire book in the meantime to be fair and and conversation without notice I have done some stuff behind the scenes in the last week to try and get that ready to go so it's easier to just press go on that one but yes it is going to happen shortly
1: yeah so uh for those who are eagerly waiting new updates please accept our apology please have some more patience uh Dan's also having to work a little bit extra with the with the pandemic as well but um, he has been warned <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, it, it will be done very soon and we'll put up a link on the website as well to letting people know about it as well. So basically what Patreons are is people that help support us. They give us a little bit of their money once a month, whether it's from $1 to $5 to you know, $10 or, or even $20 basically. And that goes towards the support and running of the website, of all, all in
2: American dollars, we should say.
1: Uh, Yes, it is in American dollars. Um, So it's double if you're Australian. Uh, At the moment. (laughs) So it all basically helps us run this site um, and helps us buy software for the website and all that type of stuff, all that stuff that costs money. uh, Basically, it helps us. And it also has helped us to be able to send a Patreon gift. So every single Patreon member has either received or are about to receive Um, cards that are related to the game. Have you received yours yet, Dan?
2: No, I haven't, which is a bit disappointing because I know that um, people in the United Kingdom have received (laughs) their game, uh, received their cards, and yet here I am um, just in the same country as you and they haven't arrived yet. So I am looking forward to seeing them and uh, that'll be a nice little um, uh, teaser for the, the card game.
1: Yes, so basically, all our patreons are getting a card, um, and basically that can actually be used in the game. Um, and new
2: patreons will be eligible for that yes. card as well. I'm sure until we it's until such point as we run out of cards.
1: Yep. So yeah, basically. Um, we've also used a couple of the cards for prizes, uh, we've got a couple of other competitions coming up, but basically they're for Patreons, so we actually have four new Patreons since our last Comics and News podcast, which is pretty cool, um, that's awesome,
2: thank you guys,
1: yeah, so thank you, so let's give them all a of a shout out, so we've got Paul Mason uh, who we all know and we all thank you for his support uh, Ty Browning, who's a good old WA boy um, uh, Keith Bennett uh, he likes to swap between New South Wales and Victoria. And then we've also got uh, Ewan McCauley, uh, who is the Lightning Strikes um, creator. I'm
2: going to have to create it's Owen McCauley.
1: Owen McCauley. So it is good to see some creators. We've got a couple of other creators uh, besides uh, Paul and uh, Eon, uh, Owen. Uh, so it is good to see the supporters That are actually, I mean the creators Actually supporting us as well So we give them all a huge shout out Patreons, uh, we can't do this without you uh, We hope you enjoy the card um, And Because let's face it Not everyone's going to get one of those cards There's only a couple of those cards That were made and printed And Patreons get the first dibs Because we love our Patreons so, if you want to learn out more about our Patreons, you can go to our website, which is ChronicleChamber.com. Uh, if you want to buy one of our books, you can also go to ChronicleChamber.com, which is the Bushfire Fundraiser book. Uh, if you want to email us and give us some of your feedback, or you want to discuss something with us, that is ChronicleChamber@gmail.com. Or you can do us—you uh, can talk to us via social media, which is on Facebook. If you like Facebook, uh, you can search ChronicleChamber.com. Uh, if you like using Twitter, we are at Chronicle underscore tweet, and Instagram. We are at Chronicle Chamber. As I said before, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or apps like Podbean, Player FM, even Spotify and stuff like that as well. So I hope you had fun tonight or today as you listen to this, we hope, uh, you might have agreed or disagreed with some of our feedback that's all good um dan thank you for joining us and thank you for your time and uh till next time
2: happy phantoming absolutely happy phantoming guys
0: 500 years ago Washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad He said, I'm mad, I must eradicate Piracy, injustice and cruelty And all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this man cannot die The Phantom, the ghost who walks The Phantom, enemies beware The Phantom's always there But you won't mind the Phantom I